landmine press obviously gets you at probably like this, you know, this 45 degree angle. So the question then becomes like, why not just do an incline press? The challenge with an incline press is your scaps are scaps can't move. They're, thick, they're fixed to a bench, right? So first off, they can't move. In fact, we're coaching them, you know, to not move. But the other thing I'll tell you, and Mike Robertson actually just put a really good video up on this, is like, anytime you get back on a bench with weight downward, what using like a barbell bench as an example, like think about what you're doing is you're compressing the rib cage front to back, right? Yeah. So that might be perfectly fine if you have like a narrow infrasternal angle guy, maybe one of those like really fashionably driven six foot three, 175 five pound athletes where you just desperately got to put 20 pounds on them. <laughs> if you get your like guy who's 220 already put together, you compress him, go check his rotation after that set. And, and don't just check like shoulder internal rotation or something like that. Go check thoracic rotation, even look at his hips. You'll, you'll actually see that when you compress them like that, there is a there is a price to be paid. So I always come back to like, hey, can they do this exercise and leave the gym today with as good or even better motion than they walked in? Because rotation is king in a, in a, in a baseball population. Um, like you take that away and they're going to go somewhere else to find it. So um, I think all too often, like, ah, oh, you know, this is nothing. It's a small percentage of their training volume, but like, I did my master's thesis on unstable surface training, and we found that even two to three percent of training volume on unstable surface training, like attenuated changes in in, in power outputs and, and strength measures, like that's a big deal. So you know your body is constantly adapting to whatever stressor you throw at it. Um, so I think it's important for us just to be like mindful of like what is the exercise selection that doesn't just deliver a favorable outcome. Hey, scapular upper rotation, upper extremity hypertrophy, whatever it is, but also minimizes you know, the, the potential risk that they may be encountering. No, that's, as you were talking about that, the thing that I thought of instantly was another guy, Boyle, who is in the private sector world, went in Major League Baseball. Um, one of his talks, though, was about like, okay, if you're always doing rotation, how much of it in the weight room needs to be more rotation versus anti-rotation? How do you handle that complexity for any of our listeners who do work in the baseball world? Yeah, so here, here's something I'll tell you is um, – Everybody responds, <clears throat> excuse me, to the, th the stress of throwing slash swinging differently, right? So we have guys that throw a baseball and lose shoulder external rotation. We have guys who lose and throw a baseball and lose shoulder internal rotation. I think the problem is a lot of those studies, they look at averages and they should be looking at standard deviations and outliers ah. where you see these guys. So uh, case in point, Mike Reinold was a, um, a co-author on a study in 2009 that looked at... Um, range of motion changes after pitching in professional pitchers. And so they basically showed there was a, you know, an average loss of internal rotation and elbow extension, all well and good, right? Not, nothing you would be surprised at when you look at this large sample size. What was interesting was how big the standard deviation was. It was like 190, 191 degrees of total motion. So internal plus external rotation yeah. in that shoulder. And then you had, you had guys that were probably in the 160s and you had guys that were probably up in the 230s. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. So you had these hypermobile guys that they weren't losing any motion. They were becoming more unstable after going. <laughs> Those are the guys that you're worried about subluxing or tearing ligaments. And you had guys that would lose a lot of motion, not just like internal rotation. They could be losing ER. Um, they could be using, losing shoulder flexion. Um, so it's just one of those things where you do all these things. You throw a baseball at a high level, there's a ton of shoulder, external, and internal rotation, but guys still lose it. 
Um, so like to the comment on these guys are rotating all the time, you know, do we really need to do it? In the room? I think we need to do something to make sure that it sticks around. Um, I think we need to consider, can we train it at a different point on that force velocity curve? Um, and true, can we, tra can we train it in the opposite direction, right? If they're, if they're right-handed hitters, like you got to left rotate a little bit, right? Uh, and yeah. that's, that's really, really important. And, uh, you know, I think looking back, you know, I wish I had known what I know now about, you know, different people will respond based on their compression strategy. So if, you know, if our listeners haven't filled, you know, checked out some of Bill Hartman's um, work, I think it's, it's really, really useful. Narrow versus wide ISAs, like they will lose motion somewhat predictably based on what their, their skeletal archetype is. Um, Rick Franzbaugh at the University of or Clemson has, has done yeah. a great job with this. Well, he's an awesome podcast for me talking about it and it impacts the way that they move. So I, I, I generally never am, am um, like steadfast reductionist, like this athlete shouldn't do this. I'm way more, I guess, methodology agnostic. Like I, I look at it and say, here's the athlete that's in front of me. Here's what I see on them, and, and these are the best courses of action. Not like, I love this drill. Let's go use it with everybody. Um, again, hearing you say all of this and being an outsider, I'm thinking, okay, baseball, you could almost be very much like a track and field thrower, bonder chuck, um, because I feel like from any – as strength coaches hearing, okay um, – uh, a slightly heavier implement versus a slightly lighter implement. Like you see that in the worlds of baseball and, and golf more, correct? Yes. Um, so the first thing I'll say is I, I think the, um, the aggressive look to like javelin throwers to really help baseball players is, is a really tricky one to make. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I think we can learn a lot from every sport. And I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to think that, but like, Hey, we're going to throw a heavier implement and a lighter yeah. implement. Like, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. I, I think the nature of a five ounce baseball is such that you can get to more extreme range of motions. Right. And so as a result, it's probably leaves a, an elbow more vulnerable. We know you don't lay it off nearly yeah. as much when you're throwing a heavier implement. Um, and, and so looking at like a, a quarterback, right. A football is obviously heavier than a baseball. And you very rarely see UCL tears in football players. You know, you, you get a couple here and there, but it's usually like kind of collision related. Somebody grabs an arm as you lay it back or a fall on an outstretched arm kind of contributes to it. And, and, and more often than not, they can be managed, you know, uh, conservatively over the course of a, of a career pretty well. So, um, you know, I do think there's something to be said for that. Um, but weighted balls are, are definitely hot topics in the baseball community. You know, they do seem to... Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. I mean, the evidence suggests that they increase injury risks, but they also increase oh. velocity. And we also have to figure out, like, is, is every weighted ball program created the same, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. the people who are drawn to using weighted balls are the people that are just drawn to trying anything and doing aggressive throwing programs. And kind of like the, the result of any one-size-fits-all program is 25% of guys get hurt, 25% of guys get worse. You know, 25% of guys maybe get a little bit better and 25% of guys stay the same, you know? So it's just, it, you got to look at where you kind of fit on, on that bell curve. Um, but, you know, we use weighted balls. You know, oh, it's just okay. a matter of how do you use them? You know, how, what the volume is, what the intensity, what time of day are you using them? Like we have some guys that make like 
three throws with like a two pounder against the wall just to kind of get loose. They may do some reverse throws, and so not all drills are created equal. Um, so I think we I think we need to just again take a step back and not just vilify the implement. I think we need to think about like how is it actually used, and and that's where you realize you can borrow from those other populations. But, but make no mistake about it, like javelin throwers have plenty of throwing related injuries. There just aren't as many javelin throwers, so you don't hear about them nearly as much. But they blow out ligaments all the time. The first Tommy John I ever saw was a javelin thrower. Their shoulders are messy. Their their lead legs are, you know, their knees are not in great shape. Um, you know, I've seen enough javelin guys over the years to realize that their injury histories are probably even more speckled than the baseball players I see. I had a girl at Towson who, as a freshman, um, tore lead leg ACL, landed dislocated elbow, right? Like, so, yeah. Like, but I did study some of the baseball population stuff on, you know, you know, working that elbow because it didn't have to get repaired. But a hundred percent, you talked about it with throwing backwards, and I do remember hearing it either from your stuff or a different baseball person back in the day. Do you still do, or did you ever do, or does it hold water like throwing frisbees to get the high velocity on the opposite direction, or no? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a necessarily a training, <laughs> like just to warm up, man. Maybe or is it just uh, like? It's it's more of like, hey guys, like you're you're tired of doing really regimented sprint work, like go out and throw the frisbee on the turf, like Got it. be athletic, have some fun. I mean, heck, I, I like to do that myself. So yeah, it has. Uh, I don't think it has a, a crazy amount of, of training, you know, validity to it, just because most guys don't throw the frisbee with like full blown rotation. It usually tends to be like more quick <laughs> or anything like that. So yeah, I would I wouldn't view it as like a a really like you know bold training initiative. Okay. Uh, I only got two more questions that I'll, uh, you know, respect your time, but, um, you know, you're a hundred percent in a, like you said, very high position with lots of different people that, you know, working together in communication. How do you hire? Like, what are kind of some of your just big rocks for our, um, directors and, um, high performance managers that are members and listeners out there? 